Hi everyone, Dan Cassidy here. Welcome back to Top of the Morning on the UBS Market Moves podcast channel. With the holidays nearly upon us, we will end the year with one final CIO strategy snapshot. There is, of course, a lot to talk about in the markets. We will also spend some time discussing the word of the year in financial markets. So joining us once again for the conversation, glad to welcome back Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office, Jason Dreho. Jason, good morning to you. Welcome back and thank you for joining us. Hard to believe, though, here we are, our final episode for 2023. Well, time flies when you're having fun, Dan. Um, so good morning. <laughs> Happy Monday. Yeah, this will be the, the final send-off uh, for hopefully a couple of quiet weeks before another year kicks in in 2024. So before we get to some downtime, as mentioned, Jason, there is a lot to catch up on in the markets. Maybe a good place to start by reviewing the Fed's FOMC meeting last week, which the markets, they seem to have liked the outcome of that meeting. So I'm curious, Jason, as to what your takeaways from the meeting are and what CIO expects from the Fed in 2024. Well, the Fed didn't hike. That was pretty much set in stone. So the focus was on the guidance the Fed would provide for rate cuts in 2024. Uh, specifically looking first at the dot plot, which is the assessment of individual FOMC members, they're 18, how much they expect the Fed funds rate to decline next year. Uh, the expectation that you know, mine was for, for two rate cuts next year, that would be so the median dot, uh, which is equivalent to like a 50 basis point decline in the Fed funds rate. Uh, the market is certainly pricing for much more, but I think even the whisper number of investors is that the Fed would have only gone to maybe 50 basis points of cuts. Instead, they went to 75 as the median dot, uh, or three cuts, so more than the market was anticipating. And you could see the initial market reaction, especially with Treasury yields, right after the statement came out that included this information, indicated that was a surprise. And then, of course, we saw equities and other risk asset classes rally you know, the rest of Wednesday, Thursday, in light of that news. So uh, it was a dovish outcome. I think the expectation was more that it wouldn't hike, but it would be a hikeish or hawkish end to the Fed rate hikes. Then it was on more on the dovish side, so that was certainly surprising. And then even in the press conference, Fed Chair Jay Powell didn't really push back on, you know, the market pricing, um, acknowledge that inflation has come a long way and it might be even allow them to cut rates if it keeps declining, even if growth hasn't slowed and, and growth being below trend isn't a prerequisite for them to be able to cut. So all in all, kind of a relatively dovish outcome. It obviously triggered the market reaction. Uh, going into the meeting, the thought was perhaps, you know, at least the market was pricing between four to five cuts uh, next year. Now it's almost, you know, five to six and closer to six, about 150 basis points of Fed rate cuts for next year. That's what the market is expecting. The CIO view is that we will get 75 basis points of rate cuts starting in May. The market's at about 85% probability they begin in March. The, really, the reason that we are in the 75 basis point view is simply that we just don't think the economy is going to slow enough you know, in the first quarter of the year to sort of justify the Fed to move as soon as March. And if they don't move in March, then we're looking at probably maybe you know, you know, one cut per meeting from you know, May, perhaps June, and then, you know, or, or once a quarter through to year end. So it's almost a, a more reflection of the view that, you know, we believe in a, a softer slowing where economic growth holds up okay, and therefore the Fed doesn't have to cut as much. But clearly that's going to be a point of a lot of discussion, debate, you know, you know, really from, from now going well into next year, just how much the Fed is going to cut. We think the market's getting ahead of itself a little bit. We're in the view of 75 basis points. 
Uh, and it, I, I would note that on Friday, New York Fed uh, President John Williams tried to push back on, you know, what the market was pricing, making comments that, you know, we haven't even really begun to talk about rate cuts just yet. That really didn't move the markets very much. I mean, it dialed back a little bit, you know, in a, bit, a few basis points, what was being priced for a Fed cut as soon as March. But for context, uh, uh, Williams came out in August with an interview in the Wall Street Journal suggesting that the Fed could cut rates if inflation falls enough, almost as a preemptive measure. So he was the one who kind of first floated the idea. It's difficult for him now to kind of walk it back. So I think therefore the market really just sort of thinks anything that the Fed says right now until we see more data is is somewhat irrelevant for reversing what the market's price. It's going to take significant data to change that anytime soon. So that's our takeaways. Market's pretty optimistic. We'd be a little more cautious and just in terms of how much the Fed has cut. But the key point is the Fed has clearly pivoted towards an easing bias for 2024. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and for helping us to manage expectations for the year ahead. So that covers the Fed. I do want to bring our listeners up to speed on CIO's positioning recommendations because last week CIO did make an update to its investment recommendations by upgrading U.S. small cap stocks to most preferred. So can you take a moment to talk about the rationale? for this change? Well, we did upgrade U.S. small cap equities to most preferred instead of by extension downgraded large cap equities to least preferred. So it's a relative preference for small over large. We didn't make any sector changes. We kept our kind of the relative preference for value and growth at neutral next one, no style preference. The rationale for the upgrade for small cap, you know, it stems from a few different factors. First, if you just look at the relative performance of small versus large, you know, this year and really going back to the beginning of 2022, small has underperformed quite significantly. The S&P 500 is less than 2% from its all-time high that big hit basically on the first day of 2022. It's at a year-to-date high now. The Russell is still about 15% below its all-time high. So relative to the S&P, the Russell 2000 index, the small cap index that, that is widely tracked, is still kind of underperforming by about 15 percentage points. So a lot of scope for kind of catch up you know, after performing a significant amount over this, this time period. Even before this underperformance began nearly two years ago, the valuations for small caps were at a discount relatively large. Um, normally, small caps traded a premium in terms of the P multiple versus large. Now they're trading at a, a quite a sizable you know, discount. So valuations, again, are quite attractive, which means if you know, the market sort of turns, if the cycle turns, there's a lot of scope for, for catch up on a valuation perspective. A third factor is kind of more the economic fundamentals. We've seen uh, the manufacturing sector of the economy has basically gone through a, a recession already, and it looks like it's, it's certainly troughed and perhaps will come out of it. One indication of that are, you know, the ISM manufacturing index, including the new orders component of it, which has been below 50, so indicating sort of contraction for 18 months. This is the, oh, sorry, for 16 months, this is the second longest time period where it's been sort of below 50. The longest is 18. So we'd expect that to turn, you know, positive back into expansionary territory you know, early in next year. That's been a pretty good indicator of earnings for small cap stocks. Um, so that's a sort of a third factor is kind of the turn of the economic cycle. Uh, another factor is the Fed pivots. This wasn't, you know, the, the key catalyst, but it was sort of the final cherry on top of the Sunday, so to speak. Uh, when the Fed clearly sort of pivoted and, and did so in a dovish way, uh, that's important for small caps because small cap stocks are going to be more economically and rate sensitive. 
So lower rates helps small cap stocks more than it helps large cap stocks. Uh, and certainly we, you know, we, we see that you know, already in the initial sort of market reaction, not just late last week, but of over the course of the past month or so, anytime inflation data has come in better than expected, the Fed has sounded dovish, the idea that rates could go lower, that's been a boon to see small caps kind of outperform. And that kind of segues into the final factor, which is that what we're seeing is that already a bit of a market rotation, money is going back into small caps. Given the underperformance, there's definitely scope for catch-up. So it's an area of the market that we think could really kind of outperform and outperform quite significantly in relatively short order. Meaning the next, you know, you know, one to two months, you could see small caps make up a big chunk of that 15 percentage point underperformance. We'd rather kind of get in early uh, on that. I mean, already some of it's already happened rather than sort of wait a few more weeks for, for more confirmation, say, on economic data to make that move because, you know, the relative performance could already be seven or eight percentage points by, by mid-January. So this may end up being a relatively tactical opportunity that lasts you know, a short window. It also could be the case that this becomes, a, you know, the, the story for next year, that the economic fundamentals are okay, the rotation takes place, and small caps outperform significantly for much of the year. But I think investors have to be prepared that this is a still relatively, you know, tactical view, and they have to be sort of nimble to take advantage of it quickly, but also be prepared that the, you know, the trade could be done, you know, by, you know, relatively early next year as well. I do want to pivot a bit, turn to lighter year-end matters, because you just authored your annual finance word of the year blog, which does offer your prediction for the word that will dominate financial markets in the year ahead. Though you do begin the blog by reviewing your choice for 2023, which we covered on the podcast here uh, just about a year ago. So that that word is disinflation. Jason, looking back on this year, what's your assessment of that prediction? Well, the choice of disinflation as the word of the year for 2023, which we again made 12 months ago, was not a forecast or prediction that there would be disinflation. I mean, I think that was a you know, consensus view. We expected it. It was more a prediction that as a market driver, disinflation would be critical for you know, how the market performed. If it was rapid, you'd see equities benefit. If it stagnated, you'd see equity markets and risk assets in general suffer and rates would go higher. So it'd be a key sort of market you know, kind of driver. Um, now with 12 months of hindsight, I'd say it was a you know, good choice. We wouldn't have an S&P 500 up you know, almost 24% with two weeks to go in the year if it was not for steady disinflation. Um, that was I think, a key kind of prerequisite for how the market uh, played out. And we even saw... Uh, you know, late in the summer, early in the fall, when disinflation looked like it was stagnated a bit, that the markets pulled back, rates rose, and then once it was back on course, we saw markets kind of rally. But if I'm being sort of, you know, you know, intellectually honest, I think there's probably a better choice for the finance word of the year for this past year, and that would be resilient, meaning the kind of resilient growth. Keep in mind that at the start of the year, you know, disinflation was a consensus view. Another consensus view was that a recession in the U.S. would begin roughly by the middle of the year. Instead, in the third quarter of this year, GDP grew at 5.2%. And really starting kind of later in the spring, kind of, you know, uh, early summer, the word resilient kept popping up, you know, when investors would talk about the economy, when companies would talk about their business, growth was just much more resilient than people expected. Uh, And that continued really all throughout the year, right up until now. So that was kind of the surprise. As much as disinflation was important, you know, we would have had disinflation if growth wasn't resilient. In fact, if there was a recession, disinflation probably would have been even faster, but the S&P wouldn't have been up 24%. So really the surprise, you know, the story this year was this, this resilient growth. So I think if I would say if there was one where that really kind of capsulates the market narrative this year, that would be the choice. 
the only caveat I'd make to that is had I uh, attached uh, an adjective to my word of disinflation and added immaculate, so it was immaculate disinflation, that might be you know, the best winner because really that's the story for this year for financial markets. Uh, immaculate disinflation, meaning we got steady disinflation without any real sacrifice to growth. It was that combination together that drove the markets overall. But I think, well, disinflation was a good choice. I think resilience should be really kind of the, the word of the year for finance. Jason, as we turn to 2024, so before getting to your actual prediction, you did consider a number of options that didn't make the cut. Can you cite what those were? Well, sort of my criteria for kind of picking a word is uh, not so much a prediction of how the, exactly the economy will play out, but thinking of a word that we really kind of dominate market discussion, debate dynamics. Uh, one way or another. So the prediction doesn't have to play out in terms of disinflation, just that it will be a key driver for the market. So a number of words kind of came to mind as I thought about it. Uh, you know, recession, uh, you know, certainly, you know, is a possibility. And if that were to happen, a recovery, uh, you know, on the flip side. But we don't expect a recession. And without a recession, you don't really get a recovery. So those didn't seem to, to be quite appropriate. You know, I'm biased to the word roaring, as in roaring 20s. You know, something that we've written about, we've talked about in this podcast before. Um, you know, but it is sort of an upside scenario that's going to take time to play out. And there'll probably be a year later this decade where that may be the more appropriate choice. Uh, next year, the presidential election will probably be the biggest uh, event at all of next year, you know, for the country, for geopolitical matters. Yet also history tells us that politics tends to be much more bark than bite for financial markets. So any word that you want to take related to an election, it's probably not going to be the most significant for financial markets. Uh, the one word that I picked as or really considered, and I'd say it's my top runner up was soft landing, but it didn't make the cut for two different reasons. One is that it was my pick uh, two years ago um, for my 2022 finance word of the year. It's really been debated extensively for the past 24 months whether we would get a soft landing or not. That will continue to next year, uh, and it will probably finally get some sort of resolution. We are in the softest landing camp. You know, but it feels a little bit of a cop-out to take the same word twice in, in three years. So I think that kind of, to some extent, rules it out. But there's also a, more, a valid reason you know, from a market perspective why it may not be the, the best choice. A soft landing is a consensus view already. It's already priced into the markets. In some way, it's the same as disinflation at the start of this year. You know, investors expected it to happen. The markets were kind of pricing for ongoing disinflation. Therefore, it's harder for it to sort of really surprise the markets and be the real market driver in the way that resilient wasn't expected uh, and therefore can drive the market. Same thing kind of for soft landing. It will be important for the markets, you know, for, you know, to get a soft landing to, for it to kind of actually stick the landing. But if it you know, happens as we expect, it's probably not going to be the first word that, that comes to mind. So a lot of good options, but none of those made the, the cut as the final choice. So, Jason, at this point, we can end the year on this final question. What is your prediction for the 2024 finance word of the year? Uh, well, my prediction is the word put, as in said put. Uh, again, going back to the criteria of like what's going to dominate market discussion, debate, and dynamics, I don't think there's a word that sort of better encapsulates all those attributes. Let's just think about the past month in the markets. Um, the key debate, the main debate that's really kind of driven everything has been when will the Fed cut rates, by how much will it cut rates next year, and whether it will cut rates sort of preemptively, meaning it will be willing to cut interest rates uh, even before growth has slowed, provided inflation has fallen sufficiently. So I think the word put distills a lot of these issues down to the really essence. It kind of gets that to probably the most important market question for next year is 
just how much support can they expect from the Fed in 2024. Uh, and again, if we just think about the market performance over the past few weeks, it is this discussion debate about the Fed rate cuts has been the biggest driver for absolute market performance, but also relative performance. It's triggered rotations within the market. You know, we've seen kind of going back to the comment about small caps, this rotation towards small caps, some of the sectors that have lagged this year, we're seeing it driving flows back into small caps. Money is actually coming out of cash and money market funds, um, in large part because of this change in view of the Fed. Has Fed pivoted? Now the question is when do they start, you know, cutting? And it's unlikely to change anytime soon into 2024. Uh, even if a soft finance consensus, most people expect growth will slow. We should see some weaker economic data later in the Q1 and, and first half of the year. That's just going to fuel debate of how much and when will the Fed cut. Uh, it is interesting looking after two years of the Fed being a source of, and Fed tightening being a source of a headwinds for the market causing a lot of volatility. You might think that the Fed's influence is going to diminish next year now that it's pivoted towards, you know, rate cuts and an easing buys. I think that expectation or thought is, is kind of dubious. I think it's doubtful that it's going to be less influential. Uh, the Fed pivoting to rate cuts should dampen volatility. And, of course, that's also one reason why we've seen the VIX volatility index basically hover around the lows it's been since prior to the pandemic beginning almost four years ago. The big issue, I think, is in why it matters so much is that investors have just become conditioned to expecting the Fed put to be there after 20, 25 years of the kind of stepping in anytime there's real financial market and economic stress. So they'll willing to do that as long as growth weakens and inflation is no longer an issue. And even the Fed seems to think that inflation is no longer really the key issue. But what's also the case that's interesting to think about this cycle is that investors seem to be really preemptive and sort of proacting the Fed cuts. So the Fed might be preemptive in cutting rates if inflation is coming down. The markets are preempting even those expected cuts by pricing it into the markets and moving it. So any signs of weaker data or comments by Fed officials, the market reacts uh, in terms of Fed cuts happening sooner rather than later. So in a way, it is the market or investors buying first and asking about the Fed put later. Now this dynamic can feed off of itself and become sort of self-fulfilling because if you have sort of investor, I call it sort of Fed put FOMO, you worry about sort of missing off of any sort of rally that happens. It's hard to sort of explain why the S&P is up 14% just in a little over six weeks. Otherwise, other than thinking the Fed's going to cut, I got to get in and get in very quickly. Uh, so that's kind of ultimate, all these factors kind of, you know, are why I think the Fed puts as a distillation of the focus on the Fed will, will be the, the main driver, certainly for the, the first part of the next year and really probably for the entire year. Um, but this, to be clear, is not a prediction that the Fed you know, will pivot quickly towards rate cuts. Relative to market pricing, as I alluded to earlier, it's about 150 basis points of rate cuts next year. We think it's 75. Um, um, so I think that's a little bit premature. Um, it's also this prediction of put to be the word of the year for next year. It's not meant to be an overly bullish view on risk assets. The markets are already pricing for a swift exercising of what I'd say is in the money put, meaning expecting a lot of rate cuts. So the bar is pretty high for to be positively surprised by the Fed, whereas it's relatively low to be disappointed. Uh, and this is also one of the reasons why we you know, still like quality stocks and bonds at this point in time, even with our upgrade of small cap equities last week. Um, so I'd say the bottom line is, you know, the, friend, the Fed was the market foe in 2022 when it was raising rates and tightening financial conditions. 
it became a market trend this year, especially once it became clear the pivot was imminent. I think this tension between is the Fed, the Fed a market friend or foe will continue to next year and the market will oscillate back and forth based on how likely it is to invoke the put or not. Similar to what drilled the market this year is, will we get a soft landing or not? And, and sort of the resilient growth shifting probability between those two scenarios, next year's shifting probability of where that Fed put lies. So that's why it is my uh, prediction for word of the year. Jason, it's always a fascinating read. I do want to point our listeners, our clients to the blog, the third iteration of word of the year, which is available up on UBS.com slash CIO for everyone's reference for clients of UBS. Please be sure to reach out to your UBS financial advisor to receive a copy directly, though. Uh, Jason, thank you very much for your insight, your guidance and your contributions to the podcast here throughout the course of 2023. A lot to look forward to in the year ahead. I know we'll have many follow-up conversations, though in the meantime, I do wish you a happy, a healthy, a restful holiday season, and do look forward to picking back up with our conversation in 2024. Well, thank you, Dan, and I wish you and all of our listeners who are regular listeners a happy and healthy holiday season and to another good market year in 2024. Absolutely. Thank you again, Jason. Again, today we have been joined by Jason Dreho, Head of Asset Allocation for the Americas with the UBS Chief Investment Office from UBS Studios. I'm Dan Cassidy. Thank you for joining us. UBS Chief Investment Office's investment views are prepared and published by the Global Wealth Management Business of UBS AG or its affiliate, UBS. This material has no regard to the specific investment objectives, financial situation, or particular needs of any specific recipient and is published for informational purposes only. As a firm providing wealth management services to clients globally, UBS AG and its subsidiaries offer both investment advisory services and brokerage services. Investment advisory services and brokerage services are separate and distinct, differ in material ways and are governed by different laws and separate arrangements. In the USA, UBS Financial Services Inc. is a subsidiary of UBS AG and a member of FINRA SIPC. For information, please visit our website at UBS.com forward slash working with us. For a full legal disclaimer applicable to the independent investment views produced by UBS, please visit our website at ubs.com forward slash CIO disclaimer.